God, we thank you. God, we thank you that we can come here this morning to praise you, to remember your sacrifice for us. God, we praise your name this morning and we are just so grateful for everything that you've done for us, everything that you've given for us and everything that you are in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Good morning. Take a seat. Welcome to church, whether you're in the room or whether you're joining us online, a really special welcome to you on this Good Friday. Um, I will just mention for those people who are joining online that we will be doing communion at the end of my message, so um, you can quickly run away. I promise not to say anything important in the next 15 minutes. Um, and you can furnish yourself with something to, with which to uh, take communion. Everyone in the room, we've got you covered. All right, <clears throat> so Good Friday. Um, I was thinking this is a Good Friday dress a little bit. It's a bit dark, but there's little pops of colour which are, you know, a bit hopeful for what's to come. So uh, this is my Good Friday dress. Um, hope you appreciate that. Um, I'm going to speak about how uh, Jesus was unexpected when he came. And uh, when I say unexpected, I don't mean unpredicted, um, but despite all of the... Uh, um, prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Still, when he came, he was unexpected in the way that he came. So there are very many uh, prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, and you would think uh, that the people, uh, when he came, that they would have been expecting him because it had been so fully explained how he would come and, and what he would do. But um, anyway, so we'll look at that. And then also how he can be unexpected in our lives too, despite everything that we know about Jesus. He can still be unexpected in our life in the way that he comes and in the way that he, he does things in our life. Uh, so I did a quick little Google search of the prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus because I don't have them all uh, parked in my brain. Um, and this is what I came up with just to illustrate uh, kind of how many prophecies there were about Jesus in the Old Testament. So the first hit was 44 prophecies Jesus fulfilled. And then next was 55 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. And then 351 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. Um, so I was thinking that last one, 351, you could nearly use that as a every day of the year for a year because like you'll miss some and you'll be, yeah, whatever. But you could go through one of those prophecies every day for just about a year uh, and understand what was said about him and then how he fulfilled that when he came. So there were Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' birth his ancestry, his ministry and his betrayal and death and just about everything that he did there was a prophecy about. And here's just one example just to um, help you get in the mood. Um, so by the way these are great defence of your faith or, or defence of the Bible kind of uh, things that you can use. So if somebody says how, how can you uh, believe that the Bible is true? You can actually use some of this to defend your belief that the Bible is true. Um, all right, so let's go. This, this is uh, one about his birth, that he was born in Bethlehem. And if, this was prophesied in Micah 5.2, roughly uh, 700 years before Jesus came. So this is Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. 
So that was fulfilled and was recorded in Matthew 2 verse 1. So this was written fairly early in the first century. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east uh, to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Um, there was a, another one about his burial, so roughly seven, 700 years between these two also. And it was prophesied in Isaiah 53 uh, that he would be buried with the rich and then recorded in Matthew 27 that Joseph of Arimathea was allowed to take his body uh, and bury it in his tomb. And Joseph was a rich man. Um, so these things were recorded in the New Testament uh, written down and would have been shared as stories in in the lifetime of eyewitnesses that were around. So that's how we know uh, that these things really happened. And I was thinking, um, because like if if they were sharing these stories about you know about Joseph taking Jesus' body and and burying it in a tomb, and that hadn't happened, the people at the time would have said, "But that's not true. That didn't happen." Um, and I was thinking a modern day example of that might have been might be. Imagine if the news was reporting that Geelong had won the first three games of this season. Even the Geelong supporters would have to say, much as we would like that to be true, it isn't true. And um, with integrity, they would say, actually, you need to change that record. Um, similarly, with the, the Queen, um, where she was buried, like if, if it had been reported that she was buried in Scotland, much as the Scots would love to claim that and would love to have a place there for uh, people to come and pay tribute to the Queen, they would actually say, you know what, she hasn't, actually wasn't buried in Scotland, she's buried in Windsor Castle. Um, just because, you know, people have integrity and, and we, know, we know the story and so we would say, but that's not true. So these people would have done that too. So we know that, that Jesus fulfilled uh, so many of the prophecies uh, that were made about him. And the Jews basically knew their scriptures pretty well. They knew these prophecies about the coming Messiah. But they were still surprised when Jesus came, that he was born the way that he was, that he did the kind of things he did in his ministry, and that he would die the way he did. They knew it was prophesied the Messiah would be a suffering servant would bind up the brokenhearted, would be born of a virgin, would speak in parables, would be scorned and rejected, and so on. They knew all of those prophecies about him. But somehow, they were still expecting this mighty warrior man. Ooh, the lights are... <laughs> they were still expecting this mighty man to come and save them and liberate them from their oppressors that's because that's what they wanted that's and that's what they made themselves kind of expect so despite all that they knew Jesus was still unexpected it's making it more exciting I think don't you <laughs> I borrowed this this thought from 24 7 prayer um, and I will read this out this is from a devotion this week, which I just thought was so helpful to me. What was so threatening about Jesus? Jesus proclaimed a kingdom, one of forgiveness for the contrite, sight for the blind, freedom for the captives, and good news for the poor, which was great for the contrite, for the blind, for the captives, and for the poor. But what about those busily building their own kingdom, promoting their own royalty, 
This new kingdom was not a welcome thing, but a threatening intrusion. So maybe it was that. Maybe it was just uh, such a threatening thing for them. Everyone <laughs> is smiling. I know you're not smiling because this is... You're smiling because the lights are... Anyway. Um, but anyway, there's a thought that maybe, maybe because um, they didn't perceive that they were poor and that they were blind, they were actually building own kingdom and promoting their own royalty and I just wonder if some sometimes we're still doing that today they got what they needed versus what they wanted so we can get a fairly good picture just from what I've shared already of who Jesus was that he was God and what he came to do God came to earth in human form he really entered into our world and into our lives So another question that we sometimes get as Christians is, if God is real, why does he allow suffering? Simple answer to this. Uh, But part of the answer must be that God entered into our suffering, that he is here with us, loving us, supporting us and empathising with us, which he can do because he also experienced suffering as we do, and grief and separation and divorce and death. He knows it and he has felt it. And really on Good Friday is when he felt it the most. So he can bring comfort to us because he's been in all of those places. God chose to enter into our world as a human. We mostly remember this at Christmas time when we think of how Jesus was born. But why he came is much more the focus of Easter. Why the cross? Why that way? Why such a costly and painful way? It was because justice needed to be done. He is, after all, a just God. Penalty for the sin of mankind had to be paid and it couldn't ultimately be paid by ongoing sacrifices. They'd tried that in the Old Testament and it just didn't work. It was was never enough. It was never done. It was never finished and it always had to be done again. So God step in and pay for us so maybe like he's God maybe he could just wave it maybe he could just say uh, we'll, we'll say it's done um, because he is God and can do what he wants but also even though he is God and can do whatever he wants he is limited to what is logically possible and uh, with kids I sometimes illustrate it like this uh, God can't make a one-ended stick Minds have all gone there now, and kids like kids will actually go out and find you all manner of shapes of stick, but they all have two ends on them at the end of the day. That's what they have. And God also can't make a round square. So you say that to a child, they'll go away with a piece of paper and they'll come back with all sorts of shapes dri- dri- uh, drawn on that piece of paper to demonstrate that they're better than God. A round square, but they can't. It's either a square or it's round or something in between, but it's, then it's not either. Um, so God is limited what is logically possible. So if justice was needed, he couldn't just pretend to do it. Even he needed to actually do it. So he did it. He gave his most costly and precious thing, his own son, his own person for us. During Jesus' life, he was a man of action, teaching, teaching ministering, healing, But on this last day, this shifts from doing to allowing. He was allowing things to happen to him. He was being acted upon. 
He's a God of action and surrender. And his greatest gift to us is his surrender. Um, we're going to look now at um, 15, which is just almost the end of Jesus' life. And um, of all the accounts of the end of Jesus' life about um, how he was tortured and beaten and all of the physical things that happened to him, I don't know about you, but the most painful part for me is when he was humiliated, when they um, jeered him, when they threw insults at him, when they spat at him. The Son of God, they spat at him. And that, that is just so painful um, to read those accounts. So anyway, we'll, we'll read this. Um, Mark 15. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. He could have come down from the cross. He could do that. He had that power. That Some accounts say that the people were saying maybe Elijah would come and take him down. So he could have done that, which would have been a great miracle to those people watching that's what they wanted that's sort of what they were expecting because they'd seen him do amazing amazing things before and it would have been just such a great witness to them but it was by it was by willingly staying on it that he was able to fully reveal his character he stayed on it for us it was unexpected how can god be unexpected in your life So many times he has been unexpected to me in my life. He's loved me and cared cared for me, carried me, even when I didn't really want him to. And when I definitely didn't deserve it, he was still doing that for me. He hasn't always made things work out perfectly for me, not the way I wanted it to work out, but he has caused things to work out for the best every single time. So what has that looked like for you? How has God done that for you? How has he carried you and made things work out for the best even when you didn't feel like that was what you wanted? I have a friend uh, who I was talking to this week um, and they are in a really, really difficult place in their life right now. And as we were talking, they were just gently weeping, not sobbing because they were angry or cross or like desperately sad or anything like that. They were just gently weeping as we talked. And they know that it's not really possible practically to change anything in their situation right now. And they don't want to change anything in their situation right now. They, they want to be doing and being where they are right now uh, for reasons. Um, but that doesn't stop it being hard. It doesn't stop it being hard on an hourly basis where they are um, just questioning sometimes, but, but mostly just leaning on God, crying out to him, saying, help me through this next hour. Help me do this next thing that I need to do. And they are only able to do it because God is there, right there with them. And as we talked about that, uh, it just faith in God and their absolute reliance on him just absolutely shone through to me. What difficulties have you faced or are you still facing? Maybe it's divorce, maybe it's death of a loved one, maybe it's 
separation of some kind. I'm not meaning to be trite. I know these situations because I've been through some of them. I know these situations are deeply painful and they are of long duration. Sometimes they just go on and on and on. But God has faced these situations too. If you think about it, he divorced Israel several times. Um, He just said, no, that's it, done, gone, see you later. Uh, But then he would get back in relationship with them again because that's the God he is. He's been through death of a loved one. He had that separation from Jesus where he actually had to turn away. For the first time in eternity, he was separated from his own son. He's been there. He's felt that agony. So he can be with us in our difficult times too and he can empathise with us genuinely. So not to say that everything is all rainbows and unicorns as soon as you become a Christian that everything will just be wonderful we would love it if it was uh, but actually that's not promised either but unexpectedly as we continue to walk through our sometimes difficult lives it's okay because God is with us and actually unexpectedly that is what we need maybe you've been a Christian for a long time or maybe for a short time or maybe you're not decided yet if that is, a, is the case, and I was talking about that with my friend during the week when we were sort of discussing how, how she can get through day to day, hour to hour, how do people do that without God in their life? Who do they, how do they lean on something that, that can sustain them? So if you haven't decided yet, give it a go. This is kind of a try before you buy a situation, like give it a year. Say, I am going to assume that God is real and that God is true for a whole year and I'm going to live my life like that. I am going to practice faith, maybe, you know, one foot in, one foot out, I don't know, but practice faith for a year and just see how differently my life goes and how differently I feel about my life and my situations. So maybe this Easter is a starting point for you in your relationship with God. It's a good time to remember again what Jesus sacrificed, his willingness to remain on that cross and die for us when he could have come down, what that bought for us. We have this incredible relationship with the God who loves us and walks beside us through everything. And this can be our witness to other people, the way that we do that, the way that we walk through situations in our life and aren't crushed by them completely. They might hurt us, they might crush us a little bit but they don't crush us completely and the way that we do that and the way that we talk about that the way that we talk about how our faith affects those things for us can be an incredible witness to those around us god loves us and really that's it i toyed with the idea of uh, with this message just getting up and saying that um at the beginning and then sitting down um but i thought um you guys might want your money back if I did that. Um, and I was talking with somebody during the week as well and, and um, it, was a, it was sort of a, a discussion about why Jesus, why Easter, why Jesus did what he did. And there was a fairly complicated kind of reason that they were uh, putting forward and I don't want to embarrass them. They're not in this room, just by the way. Um, but in the end, I just said, I think he did it because he loves us. And they said that too and I said that first because we need to get that the right way around we need to know that God did that 
because he loves us first. And then you can bring your theology in underneath that to kind of prop it up. Um, not that it needs propping up, but, but Jesus loves us and that's it. So how are you doing? Do you welcome Jesus and his sacrifice this Easter because you know you're contrite, blind, poor? Or do you find him threatening to the kingdom you're trying to build? We're going to take in shortly so we could probably get the, the band back up. Um, and as we take communion this morning, we've talked about the cross. There's not a lot more I need to say. We're already focused on the cross and what Jesus did for us. But let this moment be really personal for you. We are going to hand out the elements. Um, let it be personal between you and God this morning. Remember his sacrifice and welcome his kingdom into your life. Don't make him conform to your small plan. Why would we make the creator of everything conform to our small understanding of what our life could be like or what our relationships could be like, what our ministry could be like, what we could be like? Don't, don't box him in. Don't, don't shrink him down to what you can think or imagine. Let him be unexpected in your life. So as we stand and, and go through these, uh, we're going to sing together. We're going to worship together as we take communion. You can do um, a thank you, sorry, please, if you like, if that's helpful to you. Say thank you to God for his sacrifice especially today thank him for what he's done thank you for what he's liberated you from say sorry for the things that you need to say sorry about and say please ask him ask him for what you need he knows what you need but he also wants you to ask him and let this Easter be a real starting point for you as you uh, remember this relationship that we have as we remember this sacrifice that God made for us. So let's stand and we'll pray together and then um, take the elements as you feel. So God, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you. We are so, so grateful for everything that you've done, whether we demonstrate it on a daily basis or whether we don't. We are so grateful in our hearts this morning. God, we are sorry for the times where uh, we demand that you do something, something that we think needs to be done. When we have that absolute certainty for our life or for our world, what needs to happen. God, we're sorry for the things that we do wrong. We thank you. Thank you, God, that, that you don't mind us. And even now, as we remember the pain of your sacrifice, fill us with faith, hope and love enough to share with those around us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.